As a born-again believer, you have the DNA of Jesus. Be ready to be activated and launched into your identity as kings. Receive impartation to succeed in life. Recover your ordained sphere of influence. Receive strategies to unlock wealth building for your family and advance the kingdom on earth. Be initiated into the lost tribe of kings, rising to reign and rule alongside the King of Kings. Learn more about how you can connect with us by visiting our website, kingsandwealth.com. Again, our website is kingsandwealth.com. Now, winning mindset. Why do I say winning mindset? I mean, again, I'm an honest person, as you know. I'm very, very direct. Otherwise, I won't be doing this ministry. (laughs) The word win doesn't come across very common from the pulpit. Oh, my gosh, it sounds so aggressive. Oh, my gosh, it's, I don't know, you know, wow, what is this woman going on about win, 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 win? But you know what? Guess what? They are about winning. David is about winning. I don't know why we should apologize for that. I don't know why we feel shameful about wanting to win. That's like a normal thing in non-Christian circles. That's like, people just talk about, you know, if you're going to a game, you you want your players to win. If you're playing in a game, you want to win. Why go to a game if you don't win? If you don't want to win. And this is what God has put inside of us. Look at, look at what King David, you know, this is so funny. When I was watching the Netflix show, again, Netflix, I yes, I'm a big Netflix fan. Michael Jordan in Last Dance. He kept saying that one quote, I was like, wow, I was so impressed. He, he kept saying, win at all costs. Win at all costs. Yeah, I know this is not a Christian show, Okay, Michael Jordan's Last Dance is not a Christian show, but I had a ton of stuff that I learned out of that. And let's look at the parallels between King David and Michael Jordan. You know why? Because I believe King David was all out to win. 1 Samuel 30, 17 to 20. David attacked them. Get this, okay, this this 1 Samuel 30, 17 to 20. David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. A full 24 hours, he never let up. He just kept attacking, 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 attacking. 24 hours, you try doing that. And then he didn't stop because he didn't let anyone escape. He didn't let anyone escape. And then... It says here, he recovered all, all that the enemy Amalekites had carried away. He rescued his two wives, sons, daughters. Nothing of theirs was lacking. Either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them, which the enemy had taken from them. He took everything back and he didn't stop. David recovered all. Let me say this again. David recovered all. This is, in the, this is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. He didn't stop until he recovered all. He annihilated the enemy. That was David's MO. Annihilation. Annihilation. That was David's MO. 
Now let me circle back to Jesus' words. Yeast is unstoppable. Yeast is unstoppable, isn't it? It will just keep going. Yeast will transform the dough to bread and it will not stop until the dough is transformed into bread. And Jesus himself, he said, what does he, Jesus say of himself? He's the end all, he's the be all. Because he's Alpha and Omega. He calls himself Alpha and Omega. What's that? I don't know. It also that we hear all these words. We don't even think about it anymore. Alpha and Omega means he's the ultimate Alpha. He's the Alpha of Alphas. That's numero uno. That's like number one. Where am I heading with this? God is the head honcho of this universe. Now for us to win as kings, we need to have that same mindset. We need to want to win and not apologize for it. And you, you know why that's important? Because kings have to win, kings have to show results, kings are validated by results. You do not have to be embarrassed in wanting to do well and to show that you have done well. Because you need to win, because that's your job as a king. Because you need to be, you need to be getting promotions, bringing God influence, into your department, you need to be setting up businesses, bringing God's influence into your business. It's constructed in our DNA. There's no shame in winning, and there's no shame in wanting to get results. Recover all. David was the conquering king. He conquered, period. He delivered crushing defeats over and over and over again, and he never apologized for taking the spoils. Not one time. He had all the right mindsets. Strategy seeking, forceful, winning. He was out to win. Tell me he's not like, the, he's not like Michael Jordan. David was out to win, and he always recovered all. In fact, God found him to be a man after his own heart who will do all my will. So much so that the eternal kingdom of Christ was established through David's bloodline. The verse is there. You can go look it up again. But yeah, God was pleased with his recovery. God was pleased with what David did. Kings will not stop. Kings will not stop until they recover all. This is in your DNA. The goal is to win. There's no shame in winning. I know I'm drumming it to you because you're not used to hearing this. Nobody's going to tell you that in Christian circles. But you know what? There is no shame in winning. It's time you flip your mindset to a winning mindset. In order to win, you also need to have new standards. New standards. What do I mean by new standards? You need to win, right? You need to be best in class so that you can bring the trophy home. Right? So you need to be looking at the standards. Some people have no standards. I have very high standards. But then I'm a king. 
new standards. Guess what? If you look at the Old Testament, there are some amazing standards. I'm not just pulling it out of like today's world. Oh my gosh, she's so worldly all the way she talks. Oh my gosh. Whatever, okay? Solomon has got great standards. Daniel has got great standards. Joseph has got fantastic standards. And they are all gold standards, all right? And you need to be having the same kind of standards. What is Solomon's gold standard? Wisdom. Wisdom. First Kings 3, 5 to 13. We all know, oh, Solomon, the wise king, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But let me just put it into a context that's relevant for you. You think you can succeed without education? You think you can succeed if you don't get certified? If you don't get your real estate license, if you, you talk, keep talking about, oh, I want to get into real estate. I don't know how many people have told me they want to get into real estate. I am so tired of hearing it. Guess what? Go get your license. Go get your license. Don't talk about it. Do something about it. Get yourself educated. You don't know how to do it. That's fine. Get yourself educated. Self-education. Get yourself certified because you need wisdom and knowledge in order to succeed, in order to do well in the area that you are aiming for. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry, I have to put this in my nose. I'm not even apologizing for that now because you know what? It's a fact. A lot of people are very lazy about learning. A lot of people are very lazy about learning. And guess what I'm doing? I'm learning 24-7, 24-7. And guess what? I enjoy learning. I love it. It's fun to learn new stuff. It's fun to go into a new area and like, oh my gosh, this is a new, whole, whole new area of knowledge. I never knew about this. I learned something new today. And you know what happens? Your brain starts coming alive. That part of your brain starts opening up like, ah, oh, ich spreche Deutsch. Well, you know what? Guess what? I've had to open up that part of my brain in order to learn a new language. And that was hard. And that was painful. And I cried and I cried and I cried when I got to Germany. But I got over the hump. Right, Yitiao? Oh, she's going to be out. <laughs> it's hard learning new things. It's hard, but you're training your brain to be agile, to be strong. You know, you're training yourself to go into new areas and take that territory for yourself. Nobody can take that away from you. How are you stewarding your time? I love learning. I'm constantly reading. I read. Oh my gosh, you know, I was writing in the book as well. I was just doing, the, the wealthiest, most successful people, they read a lot, a lot. And I was trying to figure out how much I'm reading. Like, you know, in doing my research with the stock market, I just, I just read all the time. I just, I just read all the time. I, probably about 20 articles, you know, uh, a day roughly. Just really quickly, I can scan the headlines and, you know, and I, and I kind of know where, one stock is moving or whatever, you know, or like, you know, what's happening, how's that, how's the news gonna influence the, the stock for that day and whether I do something about it, I don't do something about it. I need this information to make a decision. You need information to make decision. 
Are you hearing me? You need strategy, you need God's voice. All of this come into play. All of this. Left brain, right brain, Holy Spirit, all of it come into play. So I'm reading all the time. I'm reading when I'm sitting on the bath, uh, um, in, when I'm in my bathroom, when I'm doing whatever. Yeah, I'm reading all the time. I get my notifications from uh, CNBC, Bloomberg, whatever, you know, from the various uh, 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 websites that I subscribe to, or real estate, I'm, I'm studying that. For me, I enjoy learning. Maybe for some of you, learning can be hard. Well, then you're at the wrong place. My gosh, what are you doing here? That's the wrong conference for you if you don't like learning, okay? I mean, I'm giving it to you one big chunk, seven hours. It's gotta be this intense, otherwise your brain is not gonna change. You're gonna be, your brain itself will be complacent. But you need this intense, this intense information outpouring and flow and jolt your brain into a learning mode. Now, Warren Buffett. This is not like a precise quote. I had this discussion with my editor, you know, but he has been coded to say along these lines a few times, I'm doing my lawyer thing now, my attorney thing, disclaimer, this is not a precise quote, but this is what he's been coded to say many times. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. If you've got talents, no one can take them from you. If you invest in yourself, if you invest in your own education, if you invest in your own certification, no one can take that away from you. That's your CV, that's your resume. And that's what you need in order to maybe get through the, the door for a particular new job, whatever. Now Warren Buffett, as we know, he's amazing. Right, he's, I don't know, 90, 89, 90 this year, I'm not, if, I'm, if I'm not wrong. His net worth as of November 2020 is 77 billion. Now why am I pointing this out? Guess what, last year when I did this conference, it was 89 billion. His net worth has decreased. Why? Again, I had a dispute with my editor, I love her, but we had a dispute about this. He, his company, his investment company is called Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway has a, a portfolio of top holdings. Most of them has nothing to do with technology apart from Apple. And Buffett his, uh, himself has been interviewed many times and he said, Wow, he finds that Jeff Bezos is the number one business brain and genius of our time. And you know what? I agree with him. I agree with him. But he missed out on the Amazon boat, on the Amazon boat. He didn't buy Amazon when Amazon was still very cheap because he didn't understand the technology. And I understand, I mean, he's 89. It's hard for him to grasp all this technology, learn all this technology. And so his investing strategy has always been, I don't invest in stuff I don't understand. Guess what? Today's world, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. I don't understand how, how I'm standing here, and I don't understand how this camera that I'm looking at is being streamed right into your house. I don't understand how it all works, all this wiring and cable, right? I mean, I, I don't get all this technology. We are, we're doing online streaming. We're doing webinar, blah, blah. I don't get it. 
Yeah, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to invest in it. I don't get how the iPhone works, but I buy it. And with Warren Buffett, his top holdings in Berkshire Hathaway, Berkshire Hathaway's top holdings have been stuff like Kraft Heinz and Kraft Heinz, you know, like a, the cheese brand, Kraft Heinz. And then you have all ketchup and stuff like this. You know, honestly, I do love what he teaches, but he didn't do what he taught, which is to keep up with the times, learn about technology, and get into tech stocks because that's where the most money has been made the last 10 years. This is just an illustration. I'm not bad-mouthing Warren Buffett. I love Warren Buffett. He's one of the, the greatest investors of our time, of our generation, and he was right on with this particular principle that he's been quoted to say many times, investing in yourself. And because he didn't do that, he missed out too. He missed out too. So this is an example, an illustration. I think he made the wrong move by not educating himself when it comes to tech stocks. His Berkshire Hathaway company would have made a lot more money. I don't have Berkshire Hathaway stock in my portfolio. I do have Amazon. I bought Amazon when it was $1,000 at the time. Now it's like over 3000 now, the Daniel Gold Standard, excellence. We talk about excellence. Oh, excellent this, excellent. You know, sometimes it's like, I don't know. We repeat and regurgitate certain words so much. It becomes religious. You can call yourself you know, a charismatic circle, whatever. I, but if you keep repeating it without even thinking about it and you just repeat it, it's religion, okay? So think about what you say and whether your actions back them up. Did you hear me? Think about what you say and whether your actions back up your words. All right? Now, excellence. In Daniel 6.3, Daniel distinguished himself above the governors. Why? How did he distinguish himself? Because he was excellent. He had an excellent spirit in him. And therefore, he was given jurisdiction over the whole realm. Very simple, very simple point. Let me just go real quick on that. Just be the best. Be the best in what you do, okay? And do not fear hard work. You can say, yeah, you know, she knows what it was. She's been an attorney. And yes, you know what? It was hard to do the 12-hour <laughs> work days or the 16-hour work days or the overnighters. And I've been doing, I don't know how many overnighters trying to finish up all this material. You know, but you know what? It's okay. You can get through it. You can get through it. I'm trying to tell you, if I can do it, you can do it. Do not be afraid of hard work to be excellent. That is what it takes to be excellent because that's a process to learning to be excellent, to do well in something. Yeah, you might be really, 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 really talented in something, but you still need to use your talent and be consistent to apply that. And you, in order to be excellent in what you do, you need to not be afraid of hard work. Insane work ethic. That's what my new business coach, Mr. JT Fox, likes to say. Have an insane work ethic. Now, 
here I've got a cute little example here that the business, uh, there's a business called Ring Doorbell. And uh, I remember the entrepreneur came up on Shark Tank. And, uh, you know, those guys, they, the, the Shark Tank guys, they just rejected this guy. They rejected this guy. But this particular business later got bought out by Amazon for a billion dollars. I mean, the number of obstacles that this particular business owner, this particular startup founder had to go through in order to get to his business being sold to Amazon must have been hard, must have been hard. But guess what? It is easy to be mediocre. The path of least resistance. It's not hard. Just don't do anything. That's fine, you know. Watch this. Oh, it's entertaining what she's doing, prancing around on this, uh, this TV studio here, studio here, and, you know, forget about it. It's your choice, not mine. It's on you, not me. You know, every time I teach, I tell people, it's on you what you do with the information I deliver to you. I do my part, then it's up to you. I deliver my part to you, and then it's up to you. Now, I believe Jesus didn't die for you to be a mediocre, average person. He didn't pay the price. He didn't go all the way to the cross so that you can be just plain, vanilla, <coughs> average. He paid for you to have the ability to succeed, to rise up, to take your prize, to win. Now, one word on excellence and perfection. This is important. I want you to discern between when you're crossing that line. <clears throat> Being excellent is to be powered by the Holy Spirit. You move along with the Holy Spirit. There are times when you need to rest, you stop. But I remember as working as an attorney, I was subject to a lot of rules, to a lot of regulations, and also the performance is really important because that was my job. You know, I'm supposed to be like drafting huge documents and I'm trying to figure out in my head what things can go wrong for my client. And it's really important that I protect my client's interests and work that all into the documentation to make sure that my client's interests are protected. So my mind will be constantly thinking about, okay, what's going to go wrong? And if I make a mistake in my documentation, it can cost my client a lot and a lot of money. We actually have an insurance, a professional insurance against attorney errors. So that drives us to be really perfectionistic. We're very afraid to fail. Not we, I mean, that was the old me, you know. There's a huge risk and liability involved when a mistake is made. And I drove myself to this perfectionistic condition. Perfectionism is a bondage. This is not what God wants for us. This is not what God wants for us. So you need to know, Jesus called you to be excellent, not perfectionistic. You need to ask yourself, are you powered by fear or are you powered by faith? 
because you need to know that even if you fail, God is there for you. God is there for you because there's that awesome, awesome, awesome verse in the Bible, in Proverbs. I don't, I don't have it here, but um, a righteous man will fall seven times and he will rise again. Okay, and before I get here, let me just repeat that again. In Proverbs, a righteous man will fall seven times, but he will rise again. You need to know that it is okay to fail. It is okay to make mistakes because God is there. He's got your back. So you move in excellence, not perfectionism. Now, coming back to standards. Jeff Bezos' letter to shareholders in April 2018 is one of the best motivational writing I've ever read. And the one thing, one takeaway, because he wrote a lot of stuff, six pages, but I recommend everybody to read it. High standards are contagious. When you spend time around people that are excellent and have high standards, it won't take you long before you feel like, oh my gosh, I got, you know, I also want to do that. I also want to be excellent. I also want to have those high standards. You, you catch that. 20 years ago, he used to sell only books online. And now, he sells anything that he wants to sell online. And his business has been so key for this pandemic era. Now, in order to have Daniel's standards of excellence, this is so important. You need to have a plan, you need to execute, and you need to tweak and repeat. What do I mean by that? You need to develop that ability to improve a process and a product, which means you keep doing it over and over again until you get it right. You keep making changes to the process until you get it right. It could be as simple as, as I was sharing in the book, in my book, <coughs> it could be as simple as just boiling the perfect egg. Boiling the perfect egg. My son, he's, uh, he's really picky about you know, our food because yeah, we, we eat well. It's not necessarily expensive, but we eat well because we're used to high standard cuisine. So he used to complain that I do a certain type of uh, eggs that are very popular in Singapore, where I come from originally. Uh, they call them soft boiled eggs, but really they're just kind of half boiled. And it's very hard to get it right. And I remember tweaking that process over and over and over again, and finally I got it right. You know, and this is like a simple example, but a lot of times we give up on the way, on that journey of getting it right. You don't, you tweak, you keep tweaking. And then you repeat that. When you have a plan, please don't just talk about it. Write it out, just like that verse in Habakkuk that says, you write it out and you run with it. And then you execute, and then you tweak. I love this. She's one of my heroes, one of my absolute heroes in the stock market. Lisa Su, she is the CEO of AMD. This company almost went <coughs> was almost bankrupt. Sorry, one second.
When she took over as CEO, this company was almost bankrupt. She turned it around. Now they're taking share from Intel. And she's been on CNBC many times. And the one thing that I've really been impressed with her, uh, she keeps talking about, you need to get the execution right. You need to get the execution right. And she used the word tweak. Tweak the execution. And she uses words like, do what you're supposed to. Do deliver what you have promised your clients, deliver what you have promised your customers. Keep at it. So this is an amazing, I, I think it shows so much integrity of this particular CEO. She says, we do what we say we're going to do, and we are meeting or exceeding our commitments to customers. Now, when I bought AMD, they were the AMD shares I bought, the, I started buying AMD shares a few years ago. It, it was like priced at $11. Now, it's over 80-something. It's over $80. OK. This whole conference has been put together in a matter of like six weeks. I didn't want to do this conference. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I've got so much on my plate. I, you know, and then with the pandemic and everything, I, I just want to clear my stuff first. But then one of our ex-attendees was saying, oh, Yi, you said that, that you were going to do this, and why don't you think about doing it online? I'm like, oh, gosh. And then she said she's really spoken with some people that she knows, and they're interested to attend, and therefore, you know, why don't you just do an online conference? And I was thinking about it. I prayed about it. I thought, okay, fine, let's just get it done. Let's just get it done. We did this in a matter of six weeks. So many things that Annette and I were, you know, winging it, trying to figure it out, but we figured it out. And this is, again, my personal model, because you know what? Kings figure it out and get it done. Get it done. Don't just talk about it, get it done. Keep tweaking until you, you hit execution perfection. The secret is in the tweak. Don't stop. Be heads and shoulders above others. Distinguish yourself like Daniel. Rise up and take your prize. Proverbs 22, 28, I love this. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Now, Joseph. I mean, these are people that we kind of know in the Bible. But I think it's really important to look at these characters with like a fresh set of eyes fresh revelation, whatever you call it. Now, G Joseph, in Genesis 39, he is so good at being faithful. He is so good at being faithful. And therefore, he won the favor of the people above him over and over and over again. Let me just say it real simple. We know what, what Joseph went through. I don't need to go through the whole story how, you know, he, he was, uh, he was uh, abandoned by his brothers and he was sold as a slave to Egypt and then he ended up as the housekeeper in uh, Potiphar's household and, and then later on he was wrongfully accused and he was thrown into prison and, and all this. And finally, he became the prime minister of Egypt. You all know the story. 
I just want to emphasize this one core trait of Joseph. He was very faithful. It didn't matter where he was placed. He didn't complain. He just got, he just, you know, kept his head down, nose to the grind, and just kept doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he had favor over and over and over again. And he had the, I mean, you know, the guy is like, if you call him, I mean, he's the ultimate in being the victim. He was victimized left, right, and center, right? Apart from the fact that when he was a teenager, he was a silly teenager, you know, he was like flexing his, you know, he was, he was just being a silly teenager and, and telling, telling his, his family of all those dreams and stuff. Premature, premature, of course, you know. But um, he was the ultimate in being victimized. Did he complain? Do we see him complaining in the Bible? No. No, he just got things done. So I just want to say, let's just cut out the drama. I'm saying I'm not perfect either in that department. Let us all do our best in cutting out the drama. I cannot imagine, oh my gosh, now I've got to apologize to, to Annette on, on camera. I mean, like the amount of attacks we've had and, and, and so many people have written in, we had people writing into our inbox and, you know, just to throw us curse words and stuff. And uh, it's, it's mad this year. I mean, I, like I said, <laughs> I only do this once a year. That's not my vocation. And there's just been so much drama. And I've been affected too emotionally. I've, you know, I've, and, and this is one area where I feel I can also cut it out. We can all cut out drama. Just keep it real simple. Just keep it real simple. Just get it done. Okay, be faithful to your employer. Whatever situation you're in, whichever job that you're at, whether you like it, you don't like it, it stings the job. That, you know, stop complaining. Just get it done. Just do it well. Okay, and, and one, one word about evangelizing at your workplace. Don't do it, please. This is really hard for me to say because this is coming from an evangelist, an ex-evangelist. Not ex, but you know. Don't do it until you're succeeding at your workplace because you're not paid to evangelize at your workplace you are not paid to evangelize at your workplace. You are paid to do a good job. That's what you're paid to do. So get the job done and do it well. When you are successful at your workplace, people will want to know what is the secret of your success. When you are successful, people want to know how did you do it? That's the best time to be giving glory to God. That is the best time to be giving glory to God. And it's the same with um, when I'm doing my real estate. A lot of the realtors that I work with, they don't get it. They don't understand how I can manage to get really good prices when I sell property. And when I actually succeed in selling a property at a very good price, you know, and then they come asking me, well, how did you, you know, what, what made you, whatever, you know. And, and that's the time for me to be able to flex on God and to tell them, oh my gosh, it, you know, believe it or not, I know maybe for you it's kind of strange, but it was God that told me to get that price and I got it. The next one is integrity. We know what happened with Joseph, right? He was seduced by the wife of Potiphar, but he did not compromise. Now, again, I have to emphasize this. Whatever that you're doing in your job, in your business, or whether, you know, whatever that you're doing, 
even when no one is watching. Please, no compromise. Don't cheat, don't lie. It's not worth it. It's not worth it because your reputation, your reputation is worth more than gold. Okay, Proverbs 22, 21 say, 22, 1 says, and this is the amplified version, a good name earned by honorable behavior, godly wisdom, moral courage, and personal integrity is more desirable than great riches. And favor is better than silver and gold. I've got a lot of testimony here. I just want to give you one. Um, I sold an apartment, a small apartment, uh, like a, I think a one-bedroom. It's a one-bedroom apartment. And uh, I sold it really well. It was really well done. It was very beautiful. I'll show you guys the, the video of it later on. Um, but I didn't realize, and this was an unintentional error, I didn't realize that uh, I actually coded the wrong footage, the square footage of that place. We sell in square meters. And I coded more than what it actually is. I didn't know about it. S property was sold, keys were handed over. And then the buyer, the new owner came back to me and said, hey, Waii, you know what? This is so embarrassing for me to say, but uh, I had a tenant that was in this place and then she actually measured the whole apartment and she found that there, were a there was quite a bit that was, that was short and it doesn't match up to what you told me. And I was thinking, huh, oh, I didn't realize that. Um, my, my architect didn't find that out. We didn't find it out when throughout the whole renovation, the whole remodeling process, we didn't know about it. So anyway, I went to the lawyers and I found out that I had the more favorable position at law. It was her responsibility to go check the apartment, get that appraised, get the, the architects in or the, uh, um, the surveyors in. And she should, and she basically bought it as is. So she bought the apartment, the property as is. And if she's complaining that the, comp the apartment is smaller than what I told her, she actually had no claim under German law. But I prayed about it, I didn't feel good about it, you know? I mean, I know I told her, okay, this apartment is 63 square meters, that's what I told her. And she found out it was like 58.9 or something, you know, that's, that's like I said, it's a small one bedroom, about 650 square foot, 600 square foot apartment. Um, and I talked to the lawyers and he said, no, it's not, you know, you don't have to worry about it. She bought it as is, it was her problem, she didn't check, she bought it, she has to live with it. I felt so bad, I, I just couldn't, I said, okay, you know what, let's do this. Let's just go for a meeting with the notary and try to sort this out. You know, I'm happy to give you some money for it, even though um, under German law, you don't have a claim against me. So I gave her, I said, I'm prepared to offer half of what it would have been. You know, she was asking for like, I don't know, 20 something thousand. And I said, I'll give you 11, 11, 12,000. Even though you know there's no claim that, uh, that you have under the law. And she was, she was flawed. She was like, she didn't even expect me to say yes in the first place. And she was so happy with me. We had an agreement right away. I gave her that money, returned that money to her. She was so happy with me that she really pursued a relationship with me. And today, she's not only a really good friend, but she's a very competent assistant of mine helping me manage my properties. So I want to give glory to God in this instance because it was the Holy Spirit that didn't let me go. It just said, you just do the right thing. 
do the right thing in the eyes of God. And now I have, a, I have an amazing assistant. When you walk in integrity, favor will chase you down. Once your reputation is solid, it's hard to come back from that. Kings need to be reforming, governing, and have dominion. Your purpose, your purpose is to reveal, manifest, and build God's kingdom on earth. And you need to do it with a secret sauce, which is what Solomon had, wisdom. Solomon's secret sauce was wisdom. And he had wide, large vision. Now, why do I want to talk about Solomon? Because as I was studying Solomon, I realized that he was way ahead of his time, the way he set up his government, the way he, he was able to systemize so many things in his kingdom at the time, and as we know, Israel, it was like Israel's golden era. It, it's remarkable leadership and government ahead of his time. It's time. He had 12 governors that were taking care of the kingdom right up to the borders of Egypt. And there were all these different nations that were bringing tribute and serving Solomon. So he was able to come up with all these different things. He basically, he corporatized the nation. David, David had one role. David had the role of bringing unity to Israel. But Solomon changed it into like a corporate culture of today. You, do you understand what I'm saying? It's like he, he corporatized kingdom, David's kingdom into an empire. And he had taxation as revenue and um, all sorts of amazing, amazing wealth generating models. And he was surrounded by very brilliant people around him. You know, he had people that were working with him, under him. He had brilliant counsel. He built teams, he built systems, he built cities, he built revenue streams. Now, that is actually something that is very modern. You know, surrounding yourself with smart people. That's how you succeed. You get people that are very good in what they do. And this is Ray Dalio saying that today. Ray Dalio is he's the founder of the biggest hedge fund in the world. And then he wrote a, a best-selling book, it's called Principles. And the one key thing about this book, and I read a little bit of it, is that to create a work culture where it's about the best idea. So the process is to get to the best idea, to get to the best product, and to get beyond disagreements. You know, I mean, sometimes we, we, we've just, we're still going through a process of, of the US election and so many things that are going on in the world right now. And like I said, even with this, <laughs> this conference teaching about wealth and, 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 and kingship and all that stuff, I mean, I cannot believe how hateful people can be when they disagree. We need to be checking ourselves that we don't fall into that. It's hard not to when you are hurt, when you are rejected or when you are attacked or you feel attacked. 
But at the workplace, I'm encouraging you to get beyond that disagreement. If someone disagrees with your idea, it's just an idea. It's just an idea. Get past that. Work with your colleague that has a different idea so that you get to the best product, so that you get to the best idea. Now, dominion. Your role is to reform. Okay, kings have to reform. Reform the atmosphere, re reform your environment, reform. You have to bring reform. You have to grow, you have to build, you have to lead, you have to govern so that you can bring dominion, right? We talked about the definition of dominion. Why do we need to bring God's dominion into the areas where we are operating in? Because we need to be bringing restoration, because we need to be bringing His order back onto earth. Dominion is having the sovereignty, power, and authority to lead, shape, govern, regulate, legislate, reform, restructure, control, and influence a demarcated realm, irrespective of whether it is physical, social, or spiritual. God's dominion coming into that demarcated realm will result in the restoration of godly biblical order in that realm. When God's order is restored in a certain realm, guess what? Guess what? That realm is going to flourish. His glory is going to spread in that realm. I talked about a little bit about Hezekiah. Uh, I'm just going to go real quick over here. I think he's one of the best reformer kings <coughs> in Israel of his time. I love Hezekiah. He ruled Judah for 29 years. He was very young. I was just reading about this and I was just thinking about it as well. I think it was really interesting how he was a very young person when he got onto the throne. He was only 25 years old. And because his, his father did a lot of stuff that was not right, put a lot of idols all over Israel, he inherited a mess. He inherited a mess. So he had a big job to reform Israel. But you know what he did? He did everything that was right in God's eyes. He sought God's direction and vision, and then he executed his reforms. And what he did, what did he do? The first thing he did in the first month that he was called as king, he opened up the temple and he got people to remove the debris. Clear the debris. Clean out the debris in your life. He removed idols, he restored temple worship, he had a reset. What I'm saying is there has to be a reset of your own personal priorities as well. God has to be first in your life. When you start putting that in order, you will see how everything will fall into place. He was also generous and everything he did, he, he prospered. He did what was good and right in God's eyes. Now, this is something that's uh, kind of new. I, I didn't get a chance to put it in last year, but um, this is something that really impacted me when I was in Israel. Now, I'm literally standing in what is known as Hezekiah's water tunnel. Can you see me there? Hezekiah got this constructed. It is an amazing engineering feat. 
Now, why am I talking about this? Because I feel like he's not only a reformer, he's also a strategist. He's also a strategist. He knew that the most precious commodity at that time is not gold, but water. If you have been to Israel, you'll see like it's a huge desert and the whole time, it's like me because I'm talking all the time, like my throat was, was dry and thirsty the whole time I was in Israel. Yeah, and, and it's because it's a desert, it's just dry. And so water is the most precious commodity in Israel. And if they are attacked, water is so precious, you gotta protect the water, saw, the, the water source. And that was what he did. He built this tunnel that was hidden in the mountains. It's all stone walls. He built this tunnel to pr protect the water flow, the flow of water so that his people, his city can survive a siege when the kings of Assyria was attacking Israel at that time. Now, I don't know how he did it. He's, uh, to me, he was a genius. I mean, like, you know, I saw how the, the stones were pure stone. I don't know how they did it. I mean, there's no drilling tools at that time. If you look at the, 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 the Bible passages that talk about it, I mean, you would think, oh my gosh, it's boring. What is this? This is like ancient city planning. What's that got doing anything? But when I got there, I mean, I, I veered off the tour. I took a detour. I didn't want to join them at the, the, the Western Wall. I said, I, I really need to see this water tunnel. And I was stunned. I mean, I, you know, I was like, I was literally up to my knees in water in pitch dark tunnel. I couldn't see a thing. And um, I had to go through this tunnel. I think it was about 500 meters. I had to travel like that in that picture where, you know, th in that pitch dark tunnel, together with another Korean lady, you know, we had our iPhones with us and we went through that tunnel. And I was just stunned. It was an engineering feat. He managed to divert water from one place to another simply, simply through um, using the laws of gravity. Strategy. As a king, you need strategy. And you need to be reforming. Reform your personal life, reform your workplace. That's what you are meant to be, to be doing. You are placed in your workplace to rise up the ranks, do well, and to bring God's influence into that place. Now, I just want to show you one amazing example when we are able to bring God's influence into um, our business, into our environment. As you all know, I'm originally from Singapore. I remember doing some shopping a few years back. It was a very busy, busy, busy shopping day. And um, Tangs is the name of a family that owns amazing real estate in Singapore. They are extremely wealthy. They are very, very important. And, um, and I was just shopping in, in this area called Orchard Road. And I just walked by this particular plaque that was up, up on the walls. I've never seen it before. I mean, I did grow up there. I, I spent 23 years, 24 years in Singapore. You know, I've never noticed this. And every time when I was back in Singapore doing some shopping or just some, some family visiting and all that, I've never seen this. And look at what this 
family, like I said, they are extremely, extremely, extremely wealthy. And look at what they put up. Named in honor of Mr. Tang and the late Mrs. Tang. Dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. I was blown away. I took a photo of that. I was in tears. You know, and they have shaped their corporate culture to give people rest on Sundays and all that kind of stuff. And just like, just like Chick-fil-A. So I'm saying, if you step up to your calling as king, as a leader, as a politician, you get to mold the culture and the atmosphere in your business, in your company, in your department, in your team, in your ministry, in your constituency. You are positioned to reform, you are positioned to govern, and you are positioned to have dominion. Okay, and you are in a position to bring God's order to this area, to your area of influence. Now, finally, kings, you and I, we are meant to build a temple, advance the kingdom. This was Solomon's mandate. Right? David wanted to build a kingdom for, uh, sorry, David wanted to build the temple for God, but God said, no, 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 no. It's not your job. You're not supposed to be building the temple. Your son will do it for you. Your son will do it, not you. So Solomon's mandate was to build a temple. And he did it. He did great. He built the temple beautifully. It was amazing. And then he, he had, um, <coughs> He gathered the people and he made offerings, very, very generous, abundant offerings, so much so that it's, you know, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. They used the word multitude because it was so much. I don't even know how to quantify that in today's terms. And um, when the priest came out, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue ministering. And we all know it was the glory of the Lord that has filled the temple. It was the presence of the Lord that came. Now, what are the lessons that we're talking about? Solomon built the temple with a pure heart. He was collaborating harmoniously with the priests. He was dedicated towards the united worship of the one true God. He built the temple with astronomical wealth. And guess what? It was easy for him to do that. It was easy for him to build a temple. You know, the temple would have costed $226 trillion today. I don't know how to... It's, like, it's so big, the number. I don't, but $226 trillion temple. Solomon built it without breaking a sweat. And the key lesson is, just hear me, hear me out. This is so important. There was unity between kings and priests. They were one before God. They were one before God. The kings and priests were united in their worship of God. Ultimately, it's about building the body of Christ. Ultimately, it's about preparing the bride for the coming of the bridegroom. And therefore, the king's role 
is to not just amass great wealth. The purpose is to build a temple. The purpose is to equip the body, strengthen the body. The purpose is to advance the kingdom. You and I are involved in this. We there's no out. There's just no out. If you're a born again believer, there's no out. And if you're here at this conference, you can ignore me after all this is done. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will not let you go. Now, I want you to think a little deeper about what's happening. I feel like this is Yi's opinion. Okay, you can disregard it. You have that free will. You have that freedom. I believe right now we are literally seeing a hastening of the end times clock in the pandemic era. That's institutionalized fear and paranoia. I'm not afraid to say that. And not only that, I feel like the signs of the one world order is are beginning to emerge. What do I mean by that? Like all the governments are agreeing with one another. Nobody's challenging anybody. Everybody say, "Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah." Oh, COVID. Oh, we had to shut everything down. We shut everything down. Shut everything down. There's so much agreement among sovereign, sovereign states and governments without. With barely a hint of challenge, I mean, seriously, I need to be reading this out. I need to be saying all this. <sighs> Why isn't anybody questioning this? Whether all these shutdowns, devastating economies, even make sense? Unprecedented power is given to unelected, unelected public health officials in the name of science. And whether widespread restriction of personal movement is even constitutional. Not many are asking these questions. I'm saying, why aren't people thinking more independently? I feel like the signs are emerging. I'm not saying it's here, it's here now, but I'm saying I feel like the end times clock has accelerated. We all know we're living in turbulent times. We all know that the world is out of whack. We all know that, but you know what? You can't not do anything about it. If you're at this conference, if you feel like God has called you to more, yeah, He has called you to more. It's no longer sustainable. Status quo is no longer sustainable. We are faced with a rapidly changing world. We are faced with a rapidly changing world. The church cannot afford to stick its head in the sand. We need to be raising kings. We need to be we need to be raising kings that can tackle stuff like oh my gosh, you know. I mean, I was writing about it in the book. Like um, Elon Musk has this new startup. It's called Neuralink. And Neuralink, it actually has the ability to control. I mean, like it's like an implant, and it will be able to control. Um, it's a power of control. Something implanted, implant a chip, a device, or something in your brain, and and you'll be able to control stuff. I don't know the specifics about it. Please do the research. But I'm saying it's getting very commonly accepted to to say, oh yeah, yeah, fine, fine. Let's just put a chip somewhere, you know, in our bodies. That is 
an intelligent chip, that is an AI chip, it's okay to do that. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. You know, it, it, because we've got this pandemic, and and guess what? Guess what? Because of all, because of the pandemic, because of COVID, people are so afraid. They're saying, we need, you know, let's just put a chip in, and then we will know if this person is COVID positive or not COVID positive. It sounds so convenient. I just think there's something really wrong there. I mean, why aren't people asking these questions? Why aren't people asking these questions? The church needs to rise up. We need to be raising kings, kings that will be able to come up with technology to counter all this stuff. You know, I, we need more IT kings. We need more kids that are able to, to respond to the call, God's call on their lives, not to be a pastor, not to be a minister, no, 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 not to be an evangelist, but to get into coding, programming, you know, get into tech, yeah, or I don't know, work with Elon Musk. <laughs> okay, I don't have a live audience here, so I'm going to laugh at my own jokes. You know what, when we start moving into these areas, when we start also amassing wealth, the kings can move the needle. Kings hold the key to building the temple. And another really hard thing to talk about. That's what I'm here for. I like to talk about hard things. I like to call it and tackle it. That's an elephant in the room. What do I mean by elephant in the room? Kings and priests do not get along. I remember how my late husband, you know, we used to go to so many churches, not so many churches, sorry, let me just retract that. We were 11 years just in one place. But it didn't matter which church we were worshiping at, uh, he wasn't pastored. He wasn't shepherded. The pastors that were in that place, they didn't know how to approach him. And recently I had a conversation with a friend who was very insightful. He's had this conversation with quite a lot of pastors. And it looks like people fear talking to people that are wealthy or successful. And so my late husband, he felt very rejected and neglected at a lot of the, the places of worship that we were at. I mean, years will go by and no pastor will take care of him in spiritually in that sense. You know, and, and of course that, that just shaped his opinion about, oh, well, you know, why am I doing in church when I'm not welcome here? So have you noticed there are not a lot of kings in churches. Well, why? Why? They're not welcome. They won't, they won't feel welcome. They won't go. Now, then there's also the other problem where certain churches, they just show favoritism towards the very wealthy. And we know in the book of James, that's wrong too. That's out of balance. You can't be showing partiality towards the very wealthy who are providing your provisions and um, your tithe, your offering, all that kind of stuff. Whatever it is, whether it's this end or that end, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. Mm -mm. 
That's got to change. This divide has got to dissolve. This imbalance has got to be corrected. There has to be course correction. Kings cannot, can no longer be ignored by priests. The bias against kings has to stop. Or the bias, the wrong bias towards kings has to stop as well. You don't idolize kings because they're rich. You don't do that, that's wrong. That's also wrong. Just because a person has money and you fear talking to that person, you don't want to minister to that person, that is so wrong. Jesus came for that one lost sheep. It could be Zacchaeus who's very wealthy or it could be somebody that's, that, that's, that's penniless. Jesus came for that one lost sheep and it is not determined by wealth or money. It's determined by the state, the spiritual state and condition of that person. Now, I'm going to throw you another bomb. Okay, here is another truth bomb from Y.E. Schmidt. Truth be told, kings and priests hold equal waiting. <laughs> kings and priests are equally important in the Bible. Kings and priests are equally important in the Bible. Zechariah 4.14 there were two olive trees that were named and they were considered the anointed ones before the Lord. And we know that it is a reference to the high priest Joshua and the governor Zerubbabel. And then in Revelation 11.4, there was the reference to two witnesses beside Jesus. So what I'm saying is, the olive trees represent kings and priests and they were considered, they were called the witnesses in the book of Revelation. It's actually the cross-reference is the same. So basically, from those passages, I don't see any indication that priests are more important than kings or kings are more important than priests. I believe kings and priests are equally important in God's eyes. Now, why do I say that? When I look at the relationship between Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. It was a symbiotic relationship. They had a very powerful king-prophet collaboration. That's why Hezekiah was so successful. I kept going on about how great Hezekiah was, reformer, blah, 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 blah. You know what? A lot of stuff, he also had input from prophet Isaiah. That's why he's one of the most successful kings of Israel. So, God always had it in mind for kings and priests to work together. Priests must support kings in their monumental assignment to take on the world. Healing and unification has to take place. It has to begin. The Father, God the Father, okay? When I say the Father, it means God the Father. The Father wants to call out his kings to conquer and win territory for the kingdom, to restore his dominion and order on earth. Kings must rise up to their call, their purpose and assignment. Priests must support kings in, their, in, this, <coughs> in this assignment 
Kings cannot do it alone. Healing and unification must begin. The season of flourishing will begin with God's plans being rolled out on earth. When kings implement their call, their vision, what God has given them, those blueprints, in that vision that I saw, those blueprints, God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Wealth will begin to flow and be distributed according, according to heaven's order. As we implement what God has given us, <clears throat> what's going to happen is God's order is going to be restored. There's going to be a redistribution of wealth. God's glory will cover the earth. Just like in Habakkuk. Did you hear what I said? When God's order is restored, His glory will cover the earth. Revival is going to break out. That awaited massive giant revival. That's going to happen. Wealth will be redistributed. Are you struggling with knowing your purpose and higher calling in life? Did you know God wants you to be a strategic and powerful leader on this earth and to build wealth for the kingdom? Multimillionaire global investor Yi Schmidt wants to help you become all this and more. In this book, you will be activated in your identity as kings. Learn to boldly battle, succeed in life, and recover your ordained sphere of influence. Learn powerful keys to unlock wealth building for your family and God's kingdom. Be initiated into the lost tribe of kings, rising to reign and rule alongside Jesus, the King of Kings. This book will propel you to flourish in life and attain generational wealth. Are you ready?